everybody. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. I feel like I almost feel as if I am back. <laughs> Should I say that? Should I make that announcement? I'm not sure. I really am not. <laughs> I'm going to move my microphone a little bit closer so you can hear me. I feel like I need to say I'm back. How are you all doing? It's been a wonderful, restful weekend. I think I'm so rested that I still feel like I need to sleep. I'm still sleepy. Still sleepy. How are you all doing, everybody? Good morning. Trusting you had a restful 4th of July. Trusting we all commiserated with masks and that we practiced social distancing. Did we do that? Not so sure. Many of us didn't. As far as I could see from social media, a lot of the uh, barbecues and so on and family gatherings, people did not have on a mask and people were not social distancing. And it, it is very... It is very hard to do that when you are commiserating with people and when you like the atmosphere and you like the people you're with. It's, it's really very hard to do that. So I get that a lot, right? But we're talking about the coronavirus this morning because the cases, it cannot be ignored anymore. How much social distancing and wearing a mask matters. Uh, if you look at the numbers that are trending, you will see that uh, the states that a few months ago uh, believed it was a hoax or didn't trust the data and the science are the very states in which the surges are happening. Uh, but there is another component to that that I think it's, more, it's, it's important to point out and it's that these are the states where a lot of black and brown people live, especially in Texas, Arizona, and Florida. And it's interesting to see that the cases are surging amongst these communities. Uh, the reason for that, obviously, are social determinants of health. And there are healthcare disparities. You can call it whatever you want. It is still the same thing. Black and brown people are three times as likely to be infected with the coronavirus than white people. Black and brown people are also twice as likely to die from the coronavirus than, uh, than white people. Those factors are caused by social determinants of health. Well, what are social determinants of health? You wanna know? Income, age, education, environment. So your age, your income, your social status, where do you live, where did you grow up? Your age, your environment, where do you live? People who live in, 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 in poor housing situations, or especially in cases where you have multi-generational families. So you have like three or four generations of people living in the same household because people can't afford to rent a home. They don't have a good enough job, so they can't afford to. People who work in uh, essential work, so they work in food service or they work in the service industry and they have to go to work in order to pay their rent, they're most likely to be exposed to the coronavirus. So most of you all were very lucky. You could stay home, thank God I could, stay home from the virus and, and not be displaced, right? So a lot of us could, a lot of people could not do that. A vast swath of the population just could not stay home and telecommute. So they ended up having to go to work, which placed them in danger, placed them right smack in the path of it. It's not just about social distancing. It's not just about washing your hands frequently and using hand sanitizers. It's also that there were so many people. You have grandma, mother, father, and child living in the same house. 
generations. So that's three generations. Sometimes there are four generations of people living in the same household. So you're, you're different age groups mired in different health complications. And naturally, that's going to happen. I heard a doctor say this morning that he has a patient who is 30 years old. Check this out. This is going to blow your darn mind. Listen to me. He has a patient who is 30 years old, who is obese, has diabetes and high blood pressure. He says that when you are 30 and you are obese and you have high blood pressure and diabetes, your body is like that of a 70 year old person. I almost fell off my chair. I was so shocked. I found myself sitting like this. A 30-year-old person whose body is acting like a 70-year-old person. And he said that person has contracted the coronavirus and is will most likely not recover. Simply because your body is his body is acting as if he's 70 years old. So I'm gonna ask all of us. We need to, we've been saying this for years and talking about it. We all need to pay attention to our bodies. What do we eat? There's some things that maybe you can't change. Your environment, based on your income, based on the healthcare disparities, where you grew up, how you grew up, what you were exposed to as a child, the, the toxins in the environment, and where you currently live. If you live near major highways, which in America, most urban cities are near major highways. I'm gonna be honest with you. From my travels across the country, even in places where you would define them as suburban areas, they're still near major highways. The smog is still high. But the only difference with those is that sometimes those neighborhoods have more trees and they might have a park or they might have water around them. I don't know that the air is any cleaner unless you live 20 miles away. That's what I think. I, th I think they're, they're still robbing us of the truth. But the problem is that before clean air emissions and so on, a lot of people were subjected to living in areas where they were prone to having uh, smog, what we call smog or, or environmental toxins. A lot of people live in areas near factories and plants like here in Southeast Michigan, uh, Down River, we refer to it. There, it. there are plants down there. When you go down there, the environment, the air smells vastly different. You, you think you're in a chemical plant. I went down there and I couldn't breathe. And I was like, what the heck is that smell? And the people there are used to it, right? So you see larger cases of, of uh, cancer, but you know what else you're now seeing? Larger cases of COVID-19. Those are what she's referred to as social determinants of health. Uh, a few years ago, I went to a conference. I was a speaker at a conference in Arkansas about this very same issue, how the social determinants of health not just contribute to a person's overall health, but it's a contributing factor to violence and how people end up being more incarcerated, spending more time in jail because of these very same issues. These are issues that we cannot ignore. So I know that for most of us, you know, you live in a different area, your zip code is different, your tax bracket is different. Therefore, you don't see the urgency or the necessity to pay attention to these. Well, I salute you and I'm happy for you. Uh, I'm happy that you're able to telecommute that you can order your products and pick them up. I don't know why I don't do that more. You know, it's, but I still like going into the store because that's all I do anyway nowadays. Oh, since COVID, nobody's going anywhere. But I am able to, and a lot of other, some people are able to buy your stuff 
you you know you go online to walmart target any of your big box stores wherever you shop and you can pick it up there a lot of people don't have that a lot of people don't also don't have access to fresh fruit and vegetables obesity is a problem high blood pressure and diabetes is a problem so hear the words of what the doctor said do not be obese and do not have high blood pressure and diabetes at an early age one of the things i've learned about addictions is that food addictions is entirely controllable it's controllable because you have control over what you eat all right so try to minimize that because doing these things to us places you in a position where you are most likely to be susceptible to any kind of infectious disease that is passing through you want to minimize that as much as possible you see what i mean because there there are some things you're already prone to like some things you can't change you you might find yourself in a position socially and economically where you have to live with your parents or you have to live with your folks until things work out so you might not be able to change that but if you can control or change what you eat and how much of what you eat then do that you'll be doing yourself a favor and i tell everybody just have some disinfecting spray <laughs> right even if you live in a multi-generational household when they're gone to bed at night because some people get offended when they're gone to bed at night they don't need to know that you just spray the whole place down they don't need to know that every night while they're sleeping you are spraying while they're dead asleep you spray that place out spray the bathroom spray the doorknob spray everything they don't need to know <laughs> right and while you're in the house wear a mask tell them it's for their protection not yours some things that you can do and, and minimize gathering i know in some places in some spaces there are only two tvs in a house with five or seven people and you're like i still want to watch tv so you resort to watching netflix on your phone <laughs> because that's all you can do right so you might have to congregate in the kitchen or so on well have different times have staggered times when people go in the kitchen in some households mom is like well our grandma is saying well the kitchen is closed at at 7 p.m i don't want anybody in my kitchen at 7 p.m buy your food and bring it home eat it in the car right just some things to minimize that kind of contact because what we're seeing in a lot in a lot of black and brown communities is that people are most susceptible but I want to get into the meat of what I want to talk about this morning. And that is there's a new strain of the coronavirus in Houston, and that strain is deadlier than the strain that originated from China. I'm going to say one more time. Scientists have said it's on the Houston Chronicle that the new strain, a new strain of the coronavirus has been detected in Houston, Texas, and it is deadlier than the virus that came from China. We've been talking about this for some time and scientists have been saying this, but I don't know what's wrong with us here in America for a country that is supposedly an advanced country. We don't believe science. I don't know wherever these new thinking has erupted or come from. And where if 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 it weren't for science, we would not be a first-rate military presence. If it weren't for science, we wouldn't get off and get to the moon. We would never have developed the kind of technology we have where we can beam satellites all over the place. We would never have the kind of technology for your doctor to see right through your bones and see a spot on your lung. So how did we get to the stage where we don't believe in science anymore? And science is what tells the doctors what kind of pill that your blood pressure needs to minimize your blood pressure. Science is what tells the doctors what kind of food you need to eat 
so that you don't develop the same things that your parents, that killed your parents at 50, and here you are at 75 still kicking it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So I don't know where we got this idea from that we won't listen to the science, but the scientists have been saying this since the beginning of this virus. Not only should we social distance, not only should we wear masks, wash your hands and stay home to not gather in large groups, but that the virus mutates. So the virus that we saw here in the, in the Midwest and the Northeast in the spring is not the same virus that they're seeing in the Southwest and in the Southeast. It's not the same virus. It's mutating. It seems to adapt to its environment. Now, as much as they know about infectious diseases, they don't know a lot about coronavirus because it's too new. They've been fighting it on the front lines, dealing with it as it comes, trying to use uh, similar therapies that they've used to fight other viruses. So they haven't had a lot of time to spend to observe it, watch it over time. But one thing has become clear is that this virus changes according to its environment. When it was in the Northeast and the Midwest in the spring, the virus attacked who? Who did it attack? Older folks, right? Remember people over 60, people in nursing homes, it attacked the respiratory systems of those folks. So people were dying in large numbers. The virus has now mutated and it's attacking the age group 18 to 35. Now it's moved up a little. Now they're saying it's attacking the age group up to 44. Same coronavirus, just a different strain of it that is attacking younger people. The difference with this new strain is this. It's not killing people, but it's producing long-term lasting health complications. So they go into the hospital, but they recover because we're better at treating it now, right? But as the doctor said this morning on CNN, as the doctor said, he said, don't follow that because the mortality rate is still going to increase the longer we're staying in the fight with it. So right now it would appear that people are not dying, but they're getting the rate of infection is vast. It's spreading and spreading and it's mutating as it attaches itself to different bodies. It's almost like the virus is demonic right? So it gets into your body. It finds the most, it's like a cancer. It gets into your body and it finds the place that your body is weakest and it attacks that area and breaks it down. Hence the reason why younger people who, uh, who uh, develop COVID, they survive, but they're weakened as a result of it. Uh, someone I know who got COVID, I must've talked about this before. She's 27, right? And she got COVID and it's what, four months later now, right? Cause it's July and she's still weak, still unable to perform her activities at daily living at 27. She's young. That should not happen, right? You think she, you know, kicks back and just rears back and comes. Nope. She's still weak, still has her challenges. Do you see what I'm saying? So we have to be more careful and not just congregate, not just get together and not ignore the science or the data. I, I don't understand, for instance, where we get this idea from that this should not happen. Let me, let me read something to you. Researchers in Houston say there's a growing evidence that a mutated coronavirus strain is more contagious than the original virus in China. New research findings show that the newer strain is more transmissible. 
A summary of the data suggests that this new strain is far more infectious. So this new strain is far more infectious. Here's the problem. The country has reopened. And the states that reopened too quickly are the states that are now paying the price. We are not going to stop as long as we continue to push economics over people. This is not going to stop. And, and I'm beginning to feel some sort of apathy that white people are saying, well, it's not affecting me, so not my problem. Let's move on and open the country, despite the fact that 130,000 Americans have died. That's more than all the world wars we have fought combined. And we're still saying that it doesn't matter. Do you see that apathy? Now the virus is mutating and this new strain is, that explains why here in Southeast Michigan, for instance, we found that there was one bar in East Lansing, Michigan, where a number of young people went to that bar. And so far we have had 150 cases. Also here in Romulus, Southeast Michigan, there was a bar, there is a bar <laughs> in Romulus and now they're finding there have been so far 18 to 20 cases of COVID coming from that same bar. Now that's a small number. That's probably just the people who were there and the, you know, the immediate people, but there are going to be more because the virus is more contagious and more infectious. What does this mean for public health? Endangerment. This means that we are all going to be more susceptible. So now is the time for all of us to pay attention and to absolutely wash our darned hands. We also must just for the love of God, wear a mask. Can we just wear a damn mask and be done? Wear a damn mask and be done. What is with this thing about not wearing a mask? It, look at the statistics. If it, Just think about it. If you're around a lot of people, people are talking. So there are all kinds of droplets coming out of your mouth all the time. If, if you're wearing a mask, that stays with you. That's not dropping on me. So I wear a mask to protect myself from your droplets because I can't afford to be exposed to what you've been exposed to. Here in Southeast Michigan, they had a, a over the weekend, they had a thing called Jabi Nabar or whatever, where a group of, a whole group of people, hundreds of them, gather in their boats on, a, on the local lake and they just go from boat to boat and just party and party. Wait till that stuff starts falling out. One of the things that is clear is that social determinants of health are real. Over the last 30 years in America, we've seen an erosion of our values. We've seen where we have not invested in people. Politicians have been forced or, or feel compelled that they must uh, pay attention to big business instead of investing in communities, instead of investing in people. They've been investing in businesses that spend money to China overseas. I kid you not, this is not even political. It is what it is. So they didn't invest in people. So companies stopped hiring people on a full-time basis. It became at will employment. That means they could fire you whenever. That also means that they were not going to comply with the law that says if you work for 35 to 40 hours, they must pay you health benefits. So people feel sick and don't go to the doctor for years. They're just like, oh, well, I just get the flu every year. That's it. Especially people who are under 30 and under 35 who don't have kids. They're like, I can't afford to go to the doctor. 
So people don't go to the doctor over time. That stuff stays with you. So you wake up and you feel dizzy and you don't go to the doctor. Unaware that maybe your blood sugar is too high, needs to be regulated with medication. Your blood pressure is too high. Your ability to cope is not so great because you're impacted by socioeconomic factors because jobs are not stable. What, what, first of all, I just want to talk. I don't even want to go into that about jobs. What jobs? Service jobs that pay you $10 an hour? And it's at $10 an hour. Check this out. I don't know about the rest of the country. I haven't read that statistic. But here in Michigan, for you to pay $740 a month in rent, you need to earn $15.47. That will help you to pay rent of $740 a month. Now, they might pay you $15 an hour, but you're not getting 40 hours. You're going to get 20 hours or 10 hours or it's sporadic. How can people live at that rate? Because at the end of the day, the CEO of that company, the people who own these companies, they want all the money in their pockets. Consequently, Americans have been jeopardized or health has been jeopardized. Companies are no longer paying out health care. They're no longer paying out benefits that make you feel more comfortable. Once upon a time, there was a middle class in America. You remember what that was like? You had a timeshare. You could go on vacation. You could own a house in Florida. So you could go down there once a year and chill for a minute. You could own a cabin up north. You could take your whole family on vacation around tax time. That has disappeared. So now people are compacted. They're not earning enough. It's a struggle. People live on credit cards and struggling to pay off your credit card debt. So you just take up more debt, more debt, more debt, more debt because your cards get maxed out just to make the activities of daily living. I'm amazed sometimes talking to people who earn 70 to 90,000 and they have over $300,000 in debt, credit card debt of up to 100,000. It blows my mind. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, our lifestyle, we use our credit card to pay this, to go shopping, to buy groceries. You would be surprised. People are earning, two people in a home earning 70, $80,000 a year and their credit card debt is unbelievable. Because when you do, you combine your income, you get together, combine your income thinking it's easier, but your job is sporadic. They come in this morning and they tell you, well, we're gonna have to cut your hours. <laughs> My youngest daughter is going to college soon and she's like, that, that's kind of like a magic word, cutting your hours. She's like, that doesn't bother me because I'm going to college. But she says, mom, what about the people for whom this is their daily life. This is all they have. You cutting their hours means that they have to live with their parents forever. That means they're subjected to social determinants of health, multi-generational families that we've never seen before as a social construct in our society. And we, we, we are underestimating the value of what that has done and how it has undermined our society. It was never a social construct in America for multi-generations to live in the same home. No, as soon as people grew up, went to college, their parents were able to help them with a down payment to buy a house. Am I not telling the truth? They graduated from college, they got a 10 or $10,000 limit loan from the parents or gift that helps them to buy a house. That has practically been obliterated. Certainly doesn't happen as much in black and brown communities. So now that's, it has changed the 
cultural dynamic. People, like I said, are getting sicker and they're not going to the doctor. Uh, a few years ago, there was a young lady whom I was, uh, sh- I was a consultant in healthcare and she was uh, the contact or liaison for one of my clients. And, uh, you know, young people like me and I like young people. So when the work is done, we're always talking, <laughs> right? And I got to know about her and her family that she was dating a young man, they were gonna get married, and uh, they had a son. And they, she lived with her parents, and they were helping them, and his parents were helping them to come together for them to get a house of their own so they could move into. That's what was holding up the marriage. But she couldn't afford healthcare, despite the fact that she had had a baby Remember Rick Snyder, the Republican governor in Michigan? He, well, he changed the Medicaid laws, uh, the Medicaid policies, public policies, so it became harder for people to apply for Medicaid. He's a wicked man, Rick Snyder. He was a dangerous man, the same man who created the debacle in Flint with water. Well, this young lady, she was 20 years old. I was appalled beautiful girl I'm still seeing her face before me her face haunted me for a long time and uh, I'm not gonna say her name it's hers and uh, she was she always complained about having headaches you know sometimes she says I'm driving home with the sun it's the headaches she went home one evening and collapsed she they found she wasn't breathing they took her to the hospital you know what happened she had an aneurysm Boom, she was out of here. 20 years old with a two-year-old left behind. I'm telling you, it's one of the most painful experiences I had experienced for a while. Imagine calling the parents. The client called me and said they haven't heard from her. So I said, well, call the family. Go in her personal file and look up the family and ask what has happened because it's highly unusual for her not to show up. And when they reached out to the family, they found this out. When they called me to tell me that they said, Harriet, are you sitting? You need to sit. I hope you're sitting. I could not believe. I reached out to them. I called them her parents. Her mother was distraught at losing a 20 year old. And I kept saying, I I spoke with, I think it was the aunt or something. And I said, but if she were having headaches so intensely, why didn't she go to the doctor? They said she couldn't afford health care. So she wasn't going to check it out. Now, we know that brain aneurysms are hard to detect, but if you keep going to the doctor and complaining about having headaches, after a while, they're going to look into it. They're going to say, well, well how do the headaches come on? What happens with the headaches? Again, we're coming back to social determinants of health. They weren't wealthy white people. They were just people, right? social determinants of health because the medicaid laws had been reconstructed in michigan she found herself off medicaid her son had it but she didn't right because uh the the law hopefully it stays the same that children under 18 are entitled to health insurance in the state hopefully it stays that way hopefully right If, if 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 politicians don't see it as another thing to tear down that provides relief to people. Do you see where I'm coming from? A lot of what we are seeing now with the coronavirus is as a result of what? Public policy intersecting with people's lives. 
the scientists are looking at the data and they say one thing this is how it looks this is how it's going to play out the politicians are over here mindful as ever of their bottom line what is their bottom line money in their pockets their bottom line is to spend as little as possible because essentially they don't care about the people at the bottom it's me and me alone the average u.s congressperson earns between 164,000 and 174,000 a year they get their money regardless of whether there's a pandemic or not they could stay at home and work from home meanwhile the rest of america was sitting back 164 to 174,000 a year the average salary of an american today is nine dollars and 40 cents an hour for 20 hours per week 30 hours per week how in god's name are you going to be able to live off that and i don't want to hear from those of us who say well i don't earn that well good luck to you but you are not the majority anymore that's the problem you are not the majority the majority now this is what happens and if you look at these communities like in houston and in certain places in arizona you just need to look at this so the socioeconomics of the folks who are coming in with this virus and you begin to realize that some of these folks what do you do for a living they worked in the service industry so they kept going they had to go to work they're like i have to go to work if i don't work i don't eat my family does not eat and they go to work and they're sick. It is so painful to watch. And I, I kid you not, sometimes I feel like I'm in the, uh, in the, you, the, you remember that book, Great Expectations by Charles Dickens, that was written as a satirical observance of, uh, uh, it really was a satire on British society in the 1700s at the time of the Industrial Revolution. How the wealthy would ride past the people who are dying in the streets from lung disease Remember that story? That's exactly what we're experiencing today. It's just played out in real time. We've created an America that does not fit our ideal construct of what America should be and America and Americanism should be. We change that dynamic by creating a society that the haves and the haves not, that gap is continuing to widen. That's what we have done. We're going to see more cases of COVID-19 as it wraps around because the virus is in America. It's not getting out of America. We closed our borders, so we're not <laughs> transporting the virus anywhere. So the virus, would, in, in other words, we've built a wall around ourselves. So the virus is gonna go around and it's going to mutate and come back in the fall looking vastly different. To the folks who say that this is like a flu and this is not, most of them contracted the virus already and are no longer with us, especially older folks. Because you listen to politicians who were hell-bent on winning an election. When people start talking, people in, in leadership and public spaces, you need to look at them contextually. When they say something, you need to understand the context. The politicians who were telling us that this is a hoax, and this was a something created for them not to win the election. You got to look at who they are. They're surrounded by the best legal minds. They're surrounded by the best medicine in the world. That means their bodies are literally buffed up every day. So when they say it's not a problem, they're referring to themselves because they live in a bubble. It doesn't apply to you and I. We are not surrounded by the best legal minds 
well, my daughter is a lawyer. <laughs> We're not surrounded by the best medical help and the best medical institutions. We're not. So when they say it's not a problem, it's not a problem to them. Members of Congress, when they say it's not a problem, it's not a problem to them because they're on government insurance. They can go to Walter Reed Military Hospital as a member of Congress and as a member of the protected class of the country and they're all fine. So they can sit there and pontificate and go in boardrooms and sell off stock because it doesn't bother them. They're right. It's not a problem to them, but it's a problem to you and I. We saw this coming. The problem with this that I have with this is that we saw it coming. This could have been prevented. And we sat here and let it happen and now it's happening to people whom we know and love And now we're sitting back like, oh my God, oh my God. Seriously, oh my God, like seriously, this is a new strain of the virus. It is going to continue to make its round around the country. And it's gonna come back and slap us in the face in the fall. One of the things that I'm curious about, I don't know about you, is I'm beginning to wonder, right? Do you think that this virus that the people who were infected earlier, do you think they'll get it again? That's something that I am thinking about, like seriously, right? That's something, right? Somebody's saying, uh, when are people gonna wake up? The government is lying to you. There's somebody else said, so let me guess, it's white people's fault. Well, honey, kind of is, <laughs> is it, right? Uh, who created the society we live in? Did anybody else have a say in the implementation of the creation and the creation of it? Sort of not. It was created around you and how you could survive so that you could dominate. So whether you are, if you're uncomfortable now whilst it is happening, it's because you should be uncomfortable. That's healthy because it is true. We didn't create the American society. Black people, brown people, Native Americans did not create the American society. White people did. They created it for their benefit so that they could benefit. So if you say it's their fault, well, if they look at it this way. If they're not dying at high rates from it, then okay. It is kind of just what it is. And at this point, to be honest with you, we're trying to find solutions. But I am going to say that because I'm not whitewashing it or coating it over so anybody can feel good. Because that's not helping the situation either. Because we must all recognize that we have a role to play. Uh, Prince Harry, who is married to a black woman, uh, the grandson of the Queen of England, finally came out and said he's a member of a privileged class who has enjoyed privilege and that racism is wrong. Well, who is he talking to? Look at, look at the context. Who is Prince Harry? His family for generations have ruled everywhere else with an iron hand. They raped and pillaged countries, took the wealth to Britain. That's a historical fact to build themselves up. So if one of their descendants now said that it is wrong, Look at the context. When people start talking, you got to look at the context. I'm talking right now. You got to look at my context. What's my context? My passion comes from the fact that I'm a member of this community, the black and brown community, 
who are most likely to be susceptible to this virus. That's my context. So now you understand that. So now you say, oh, well, that's why she's talking about it. Yeah, kind of is. Now, if I were white or identified as white, maybe I would be talking about it from the same context you're talking about it from, which is, it's not my fault. It kind of is. It kind of is. You see what I'm saying? We've got to get to the place where we understand that we have to stop politicizing mental and medical facts. These are facts of life. Wearing a mask is life-saving. It's not supposed to be some sort of symbol of my allegiance to anybody. I don't wear a mask because the governor of Michigan says to wear a mask. I obey her because it's required in Michigan. But I wear a mask because it is healthier. Because I recognize that as an infectious disease, it is transmitted through the air. So I don't want to breathe your air. (laughs) I love you, but I kind of don't want to breathe your air. So I'm going to protect myself. Right? So I do that. But we've got to stop politicizing the facts and look at the science. And frankly, like I said at the opening, I don't understand why we find it so difficult to to understand science and the application of science to this particular issue. There should not be any doubt in our minds that what the scientists say are true because the facts are the facts. This is a country that prided itself, we used to, pride ourselves on being number one in the world in almost every area. We were number one in medicine, number one in science, number one in the military, number one economically, number one in family values, number one, number one. Or that we're eroding. And one of the ways that kept us at the top of the heap was what? Science. We spent more money on R&D, research and data, than most other countries because we had it. We had the money. Do you know why some companies like Johnson & Johnson, for instance. Do you know why they're so successful than other companies that perhaps produce the same products? It's called research and development, R&D. How much money do you spend on research and development? Well, the minute we stop paying attention to science, we stopped invent- investing in the very thing that made us great in the first place. My body is a scientific experiment. So is your body. You get sick, you go to the doctor. The doctor is a scientist. He's a body scientist. Yeah, isn't it? He's a medical scientist. He's going to tell you that based on his analysis, he does a blood test, he takes a urine test, he looks at your face, look in your eyes, in your mouth, look down your throat. And based on what he sees, he's going to provide you with an analysis of what he thinks is wrong with you. It's called a diagnosis. And he's going to also give you a, a, a summary of what it will take to treat you. It's called treatment. Boom. So the scientists looked at this virus that was swinging around the world in, in China and said, if this is a people virus and people are coming from China through Europe, it was only a matter of time before it got to the States. And when they looked at it, they said, wait, we only have 100,000 ICU beds in the country anyway. So it's most likely to be problematic, right? It was most likely. So we can't ignore the science. 
that science is something we must look at. Can I just ask you something? Are you all prepared for this? Right? Are you all prepared that what if this thing comes back around and it mutates? What if it comes back to Detroit? What if it comes back to Michigan? What if it comes back to New York? What if it comes back to Jersey and Connecticut? What if it comes back to Washington? It's back in California already. So that's showing us that it's a resurgence. That's that summer second wave thing. Although they were saying the second wave was going to come in the fall. No, this is the wave. So, the, the, and then we still have the fall to go through. It's July now. So we are matriculating through the season. What if it comes back? We have to pay attention to the signs. Are we still going to go out and not wear a mask? Are we still not going to practice social distancing? And are we still not going to continue washing our hands? I think we need prayer. I think we need to really, really, really think about who we are and why we are who we are. We are a great nation because of our science. We led the world on that. Now other people have taken over because we have avoided it. We took all the money out of science. We took all the money out of investing in science and the research that could have saved our country and our people. We thought it wasn't important. Driven by money and having more money in the bank, we forgot that what made us great in the first place was that. Now we can't even go to Europe because we have jacked up our own country. People don't want us in their country. Since when people don't want Americans coming? We used to go in and, you know, we spend our money and we were calling out Americans. Oh, God. But since when people have the luxury of saying, we don't want Americans here. I don't know about you, but I find that infernally insulting. <laughs> I'm actually offended. I see where they're coming from, but I'm actually like, hmm, I may want to take a dim view of visiting you in the future. <laughs> Since you don't want me to come. Do you see what I'm saying? We got to change this, y'all. America, we need to wake up. The coronavirus is going to be here, I'm afraid, for another six months. It's going to come back in the fall to the very places where it had left. And there are still some places that it hasn't visited yet. Appalachia, West Virginia. It's going to wipe out some of those communities. It's going to change and mutate and mutate and mutate. Just like it changed in this wave where before in the, in the spring it affected people who were older and in nursing homes. Now it's affecting people who are younger. It's going to change and mutate. There's something about this virus that needs to be studied and we don't have time. We're out of time. We don't have the time to study why it is so successful at mutating and affecting our bodies depending on our environment. Remember when the virus first started, I said, well, it's going to die off in the summer when it gets hot. It won't be a problem. Arizona is on fire. Their average daily temperature is like 98 or 102 degrees. I, I, this morning I was watching TV and I looked at it and I was like, whoa, to start the day off at 92 is kind of high for me, <laughs> right? In the very places where they said it wouldn't be a problem is the very places where it is right now. I think we need to sit back and pay some more attention. And it's a challenge to all of us. Whatever side of the spectrum, whatever side of the color spectrum you find yourself, 
we have to sit back and have this engaging conversation. What kind of country do we have? Yes, I blame Bill Clinton. He created NAFTA that ran rife through this country. The North American Free Trade Agreement. Remember him? We're a global economy now. Remember him? Standing on his sandbox, encouraging American companies to go invest in China because labor was cheaper and they could make more money. And now 28 years later, we don't have any, we can't pay our people. We don't want to pay them because we want to continue to make more money. Then the whole freaking world shut down and we couldn't get supplies from China because of logistics. It's <laughs> a penny for your thoughts, right? It's called making a situation, I refer to it as making a permanent decision on a temporary situation. They wanted to make more money at the expense of their egos. No, I'm not. No, I'm serious about this. I don't know if Bill Clinton, as a president, did anything good for this country. He caused mass incarceration. His wife is the one who came up with the children under 18 are entitled to health insurance. But him? What did he do? NAFTA broke this country into pieces so that their egos could live forever and ever. We got a problem. We got a problem. And whether we like it or not, right? Whether we like it or not, it's affecting all of us. Look, you are watching me. You're watching me, right? You realize we're all in the same boat. It's them. The 1%. The rest of us are 99%. We're the ones. No matter how they trick you into feeling like you are a part of them. At the end of the day, I say this all the time. When you go in the parking lot, what car do they step into and where do they drive off to? That's what makes the difference. We're not the same. No, we're not. They ride off on a helicopter. They take off and go to a million dollar mansion and you and I still go back to our little house. Whether your house is 3,000 square feet or 5,000 square feet, it's nothing compared to their 12,000 square feet. It's nothing compared to their 99,000 square feet. Do you see what I'm saying? We're in the same boat. We're the ones who have to sit back and bear the brunt of all of this. We live more on debt and credit than any other time. We're not earning enough. Yeah, they say they pay you $70,000, but have you really ever done your budget and seen how much you're actually spending? Have you ever really? I guarantee you, I challenge you, put it on a spreadsheet. It's going to blow your mind how dependent you are on credit cards. It's going to blow your mind how much stuff costs this year as opposed to the same amenities last year. I had to call my light and power company and say, why my bill went up $50 over the same period last year? They said, well, you were at home more. I said, how do you know I was at home more? Well, we saw an uptick in your electricity. I said, no. I said, it was daytime. We weren't turning on any more lights. We weren't turning the TVs on. We weren't plugging in anything. Usually in the daytime, I keep all the TVs on in the house because I don't want to feel like I'm alone. Do you see what I'm saying? How they just attached it because I am part of the powerless group. We're the 99%. We're the ones who feel the brunt of it. They trick us and smile with us and charm us into thinking that we are part of them when we are not. Do I ride off on Air Force One, Air Force Two, and other private jets? Nah. I still have to fly commercial. 
okay? And sit in a seat with about five other people. As, you know, like whatever, like packed like meat sardines. Do you see what I'm saying? It's up to us. We got to change this. Watch out for yourselves. Wear a damn mask. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Eat right. Please drink water. Please, I'm begging you. Because as we go forward, the more we think about this, is the more we realize we got to change some stuff, right? It's Monday. I got to go. Thanks so much for joining me. I love you all. Thank you. Get my book through the fire. They keep reminding me to talk about this. Get my book through the fire. It's available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Make sure you go and get that. As well as go to my website, HarrietKemmer.com. And continue to invite me to come and speak. We're not going to do it in person, but we can do it virtually, right? We can do some virtual presentations. And as usual, make sure you listen to me on iHeartRadio, Spotify, and so on. Thank you so much, everybody. It's Monday. Happy Monday. I hope, I know some of you are still going to be on the boat and stuff. I envy you. Bye, everybody. See you. Be blessed. Be blessed, everybody. Thank you for your contribution this morning. Thank you so much. Be blessed. Thanks, everybody.